Well, welcome. I'm so glad to uh, again see you who are here in front of me, um, and also those who are uh, either watching on live stream or be listening to this later. Uh, we just showed some videos that I think um, really give you kind of a sense of what God's been doing. It's been fun. We had a whole group of people out at our men's golf tournament, and that was a great uh, great event. And then, as you saw, Hammers of Hope, one of the things that I'm excited about is how God uses our people who have um, very um, gifted people who using their skills and their gifts in the lives of others and who have touched as a result of things that they've done through um, building and, and helping renovate and restore and things such as that. They've actually touched lots of people's lives, um, widows to single moms to um, those who um, are living in some conditions that um, they just don't have the, the, the ability to do it. So I'm so grateful for that group and for them as well. Let me pray. Father, I am so excited to be able to uh, continue to walk with the people here through your word and to listen to your voice. Um, God, speak to our hearts. Speak deeply to each and every person here that, God, you would um, move us more fully into who you are and who we are in you and what you want to do in and through us with the places that we go and the people that we're with. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever said to God, God, I'm not going to do this unless you're in it? Ever, ever made that statement to him, like you're at a decision point? I've had lots of times in my own life where I've come to places where I will say, God, um, I'm not going to move or I'm not going to take this job um, and sometimes I'm not saying, unless you're in it, I'm saying, um, would you go with me? Um, or maybe you've been in that situation too, and, and you're looking at a promotion, and you're looking at it's going to cost some certain things, and, and you're saying to God, God, um, I really like this. I don't know if I'll ever get an opportunity like this again, so I hope you'll go with me. Or maybe you, you're single, and you've been dating and waiting and, and trying to get to that person that you believe God has for you, and you're getting to the point where you're going, I, I really don't care, um, God, I'm, I'm going to do this, and I hope you go along with me. Have you? I, I don't know if you're in a place like that, where you're a decision-making point, maybe you're in that kind of point in your life, and maybe you're looking at, at um, going to college or a school or a degree, or you're looking at a place you're going to work or a career that you're going to have, or it could be as, as much as a relationship that you're in, or it could be that you're thinking even about having another child. There's all kinds of different choices that we have before us. But have you ever said, God, I'm not going to do this unless you're in it? I, uh, a number of years ago, read a, a interview of, um, of, of a guy who is the lead singer of U2, who his name is Bono, and uh, he, it was in Rolling Stone magazine of all places, and he, he's talking about his situation, and the guy asked him pretty simply, he says, you are on this never-ending sense of wanting peace and nonviolence, you're on this crusade, and you've been doing this since you're 17 years old, Bono. Do you feel anointed or chosen to do this? And I loved his response. He says, that's fair enough. As regards to anointing, I put my hand up for this job. I've probably just worn the good Lord out. Okay, you can have the anointing then. This kind of God saying, it's like the two brothers, Jacob and Esau, he goes on to tell this guy, who go to Isaac for the blessing, and the younger brother Jacob pretends that he's Esau in order to take the blessing before Isaac passes away. I'm like that guy. 
Why does it God Almighty stand over the blessing, he says, if it was stolen? Why in the world? And he says, only recently I figured it out. Jacob wanted it more than Esau. He knew how powerful it was. He just stood before God and said, God, I'm not going through this life. In fact, one time later in his life, he wrestles with an angel. He hasn't lived this kind of life where he's always been walking with the Lord. It's been kind of off and on. He's been using his own schemes to get ahead. Finally, God pins him down. This angel pins him down, and he grabs onto this angel, and he says, I will not let you go till you bless me. Do you have that kind of heart, that kind of attitude? Well, there's another place in Scripture, which we're looking at today, and that is where Moses, at a certain point, he has been leading these people, and before he ever led these people, God comes to him with this call, and Moses goes, I can't do it, I can't do it, and and finally God assures him, I will go with you. In fact, I will send someone to even be your voice, your brother Aaron, but I'll be with you. And then as he leads them, and he does all this stuff, all these plagues that we've read about in Exodus, and and he brings them to the Red Sea, and he gets them to the mountain, and God gives the law. He comes down from the mountain, and here the people that he's been leading who have seen this incredible work of God, wonders of God. He he comes down, and they're they're in revelry, it says in in Scripture. They're, They're dancing and shouting. They're having this drunken kind of orgiastic kind of um, party, and they've brought out of the furnace this golden calf and said, this is the one who's going to lead us. And God goes, I'm not, I'm done with them. Moses goes back up in the mountain. He's on the mountaintop. He's with God. And he says to God, God, these aren't my people. These are your people. This is our deal. And I'm not going to go any further I'm not going into this land that you've promised us unless you go with us. And God kind of says, well, I'll go a little bit. And he says, no, unless you go in the very center like you had promised that you would do from the beginning. Have you ever asked God? Are you asking God? I'm not going to do this thing unless you're in it. That's what Moses is saying. He's standing there. And then it's really interesting. He makes this bold kind of demand. I'm not going to do this. And then he asks one more really bold request. He says, God, I'd like to see your glory. And you got to ask yourself, what does it mean? Does he want to see his glory? And God kind of says, okay, it's going to be really hard for me to do this for you because I'm going to have to put you in this place between the rocks and I'll pass by. And as I pass by, I'm not going to let you see my face because no one can see my face and live. It's kind of like you can't, you know, it's like if you're going to see God, it's like sticking your hand in a a light socket. I mean, his energy is so great, your energy would just short out. And he says, so I'll let you see my backside, kind of the after effects, I'll let you see. And he then passes by and here is what he says to him about his glory. Here's what the glory is all about. Here's what he asks. So I'm going to ask you to look at this passage of Scripture in three kind of segments. He talks about intimacy through about verse 10. And from chapter verse 10 to about verse 27, he starts talking about intention, God's intention, our intention. And then the last part, he talks about impact. And so as he is before God and God's passing by, what Moses' request was, was for intimacy. He said, God... I want to see you. I want to see you more than I've ever seen you before. And one of the things that you find about this interaction with God is how incredibly loving God is. 
One of the things that God wants you to know, wherever you may be at, wherever your heart might be, he wants you to confidently understand his incredible love for you. He says, you can come into my presence. So let's talk about prayer. And you're in this place where you're you're wondering, you know, what is it like? He says, I just want you to rush into my presence with love. So here you see Moses. He makes this bold request. He wants to see your glory. I want to know you more. And glory is this idea of weightiness. It's this idea of... um, it's, it's, you're kind of like, when you look at someone, it's, it's the word in, in, in the Hebrew is heaviness. It's, it's something that's signature to that person. You see it, there's a, there's just kind of this weightiness about who they are. And, and so what he's actually asking is, God, I'd like to see your signature quality, your signature characteristic. I want to see what makes you tick. I want to see who you are. Have you ever been asked that before? Someone says, you know, I just would like to know from you what you see about your, and who are you? What, what makes you tick? What's, what's kind of your signature kind of attributes? Well, that's what he's asking. And so Moses makes this request. God comes before him. And here's what I want you to know. It's really interesting. God doesn't say, I'll let you see my glory. Here's how God responds to him. He says this. I will let you see my goodness. And then I will call out my name. There is a sense what I want you to know about who I am, Moses. What I want you to know is the depths of who I am, the most signature aspect of who I am. I am one who is made of fullness of love. In fact, if you, when I call up my name, my name will display my character in ways that you can't imagine. So he gets up there and, and, and he, and it happens and, 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 and God goes before him and he calls out his name. Listen to what it says in Exodus 34, 4, 4 through 7. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. And then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name like he said he would. He said, the Lord. And then he passed in front of Moses. And here's what he proclaimed about himself. Here's the weighty glory of his, quote, goodness. That's how he responds. He didn't say you're going to see my glory. He says, you'll see my goodness. And then he says, here's my name. Here's what, it, here's what it means when you say my name. The Lord, the Lord. He kind of repeats that, which is kind of a terms of endearment. He, he's saying, this is your dear Lord almost in a sense. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. And yet, yet. He does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So he says there's this aspect of God, but and, and yet, at the same time, he makes it really clear that the guilty get what they deserved. But if you come to God and you say, God, I want to know you, and, and you have this desire in your heart, he says, here's the things you can count on. Here's who I am. Here's significant. Um, he says, I'm compassionate. It's the word that's used of a mom. Um, I have two daughters right now with, I have grandsons under three years of age. One of them has a newborn. And it just amazes me every time when I see this word, this idea of compassion. You see it in her. I hear a cry. I can't even tell you what they're crying about. And they seem to know. They just are, they're tuned into it. And he says, this is the kind of God I am to you. I'm tuned into you. He goes on and he doesn't say just compassion. He goes on and he says, they're gracious. He says, it's this disposition that to show favor behind what you could ever calculate. You could never, in a sense, wrap your mind around how gracious I am to you. Um, you, you. You look at this idea slow to anger, and it's not this idea that God's frustrated. and he's, It's not this idea that God is waiting and, and holding back his anger because he can't, 
he's so upset with what's going on. It's more the idea that he is just reluctant to want to move into anger. It's like a parent. It's like my dad. My dad, I remember he would um, say, boys, if you don't get down here, I had a brother two years older, if you don't get down here by the count of ten, well, we knew we were in trouble. So we had till ten. One, two, three, you get six, seven, and then he'd go eight and a half, nine, nine and a quarter, nine and a half. Now you wish you knew your fractions better. But, you know, um, I know what that's like as a parent. I didn't, I, the last thing I wanted to do was to express anger and discipline or punishment. It's this picture of God who is not only slow to anger, but he, it says he's abounding in love and faithfulness. And, and the word abounding is this interesting word. The word abound is the word you put the A before the word bound or boundaries. He, his love and his faithfulness, his loyalty to you, his desire to come after you even in your sin is boundless is the idea. It is like, it is like, it knows no boundaries. It's unlimited. And he maintains that love. To thousands. His idea is that it stretches from generation to generation to generation. And then he uses this term here. Forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. It's, it's like taking these three words is, is like the extent of what you could say would be bad in a person. Wickedness, it's almost the most vile thing you can think of that you've ever done. Or a person's ever done. If you've done it. God's still willing to forgive you. It's not just wickedness. He talks also about this idea of rebellion. This is this high-handed thing. This is not maybe, maybe the wickedness came out because you've had been some abuse and, and that abuse came out in ways and, and you're just getting to grips with it. This is the idea where you stand before God and you're going to say, God, I don't really care. I'm right now at a decision and, and, and I'm not even going to ask you whether you're going to go with me. I don't want you to go with me. And then this idea of sin is this is broad term of, it's more the idea of omission. You're not even aware of how you've hurt people or what you've left undone or how you've been selfish with your finances or how you've been selfish with your time. It, it's all these things. God says, if you're willing to come to me in repentance, if you're willing to actually want to know me, if you want intimacy with me, you just need to know there is nothing in, in, in the way except for your own heart. If you're willing to, but if you don't, you have to understand. If you stay in that place, um, I, I always will deal with the guilty, unrepentant heart. And so he gives this idea and he basically says, you know what? You can come with full confidence. When you say, God, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to do this unless you're in it. God has been thinking that far before you. He so wants to be in what you're doing. He so wants you to come into his presence. And then, he, and then he goes on, not only can you confidently come before him, this idea of intimacy, this idea of intention. And, and the idea here is, is he's renewing the covenant with them. They've broken the covenant. They've, they've acted in wickedness and rebellion and, and sin. They said, God, I don't care. We're going to make this calf. We're going to do our own thing. And then Moses is pleading for him. And Moses gets this picture of his glory. He says, God, I can't believe it. You are even more gracious and more glorious than what I could have ever imagined. And so God says, that's great. And then he says in these next few verses, he says, here's what I want you to do. If you really want to walk with me, if you really want me, you know, if, if you say, I don't want to do this unless you're in it, then there's some things you need to do. And, and he makes these statements. If you look at verses 10 through 27, and I'm just going to read the first few. 
Then the Lord said, I'm making a covenant with you before all your people, and I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world, and the people who live among you will just see how awesome it is, the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. So obey what I command you to do, and I will drive out before you. And he lists all these nations, Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. But he says this. He says, I'll clear it out. I'll do this. This is my part of the bargain. You can know I am gracious and compassionate and forgiving and loving. The, the way will always be clear for you. In fact, not only that, as you walk with me, I'll clear the way for you, but here's something I'm calling you to do. I'm calling you to see this. I'm calling you to participate with me. There are some things that you can do that can, in this way, you can clear the way for me to be present with you. And so he, he makes this, and if you read these verses down to the end of verse 27, where Moses at that point is told to write all these things down, you have to ask yourself, what are the, what calls or ties these commandments together because as you read through them they just don't seem to like have any sense of what's the one thing that ties them together there's one thing that ties them together all these things that he's listing are things that were happening in the land that we're going to that would be a real snare to them would trip them up if they didn't deal with them and so he basically goes on and says, here's some things you need to be vigilant about, you need to do. You don't make a treaty with those in the land. Um, don't bow down to their idols. In fact, break them down. Smash their sacred stones. Cut down their astral poles. Don't worship at all. And he lists all these other things. And he said, I will do wonders. People will see as you walk with me. They'll see what I will do in your life. They'll be able to see how you walk with me. But I'm asking you to do these things when you walk with me. Clear the way of anything that might trip you up. That's the word snare is a word that is used for an animal that gets just tripped up. They don't see it and it trips them up. So I'm in a, um, a guys group that I have this last Tuesday morning and we're going through the sermon study guides and, and we're about a week or so behind. And one of the things that happens in Exodus is God repeats himself often. He'll say, I'm going to clear the land. And then he says, I don't want you to bow down. I don't want you to worship. And so we're in that place. And so I've asked Chase, who's in our group, um, if he'd come up here because um, as we were sharing and trying to apply it, um, he mentioned something that I just, I, I thought was brilliant. And I didn't say that because I didn't want you to get a big head um, in the rest of the group, but I, I, you heard it now. I thought, this is a really great example of, of what it looks like. So why don't you tell us what, you mentioned choice architecture, and you kind of go, choice architecture, what does that have to do with clearing away? Yeah, sure, well, well thank you. I, I think it's, I think it's important. It's really a paradigm shift, paradigm shift for a lot of people. Um, it's it's really about the recognizing that our environment around us can influence our behaviors. And so, when we look at a, at Exodus, God is calling us to to clear the path to be obedient to Him. Mm-hmm. And our action in that is to recognize that our environment around us really plays a key role in how we act. Mm-hmm. And so, our behaviors day to day might change just because our environment is different. Yeah. And so one piece of that is, is recognizing that God is really, I believe God is calling us to be obedient to Him and to thoughtfully design our environment. Okay, so like in choice architecture, that says if you're sitting at a desk, you maybe want to make sure there's some things here that work for your, in your favor and other things that don't. So now you're talking about our environment as we pursue God. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's, 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 uh, so one, kind of one one piece of it is both desired behaviors, God's desired behavior for us. And then also I think the opposite is what is God's, des- what is the opposite of God's desired behavior for us? Mm-hmm. Because if we attack both of those, we can take a holistic approach to how we 
how we how we uh, influence our own environment and design our own environment. So, so let's talk about prayer because this is a lot of these are about the prayers of Moses. If you were to say, okay, God, I'm going to clear the way. I'm going to use a little of these choice architecture principles in prayer. What would you do? Yeah, so I, I think three of the biggest components are space, objects, and people. Mm-hmm. So in prayer, I, I think it's it's important to think about what's which space are you praying? Is it a place that has high traffic? Is it a place that's going to easily distract you? Is it a place that's set aside specifically for prayer? I um, mean, we talked earlier before this that our brains associate strongly with... Uh, Actions with locations. And also, when we were talking about this with smells or other things, they lock in things. So like when I was talking about the incense that, that they used in the Old Testament, it was one to cover up the smelliness of people, but the other was the smell. If you, you, had, you smell, you, But if I asked you to smell a rose, you could probably smell it. The smell associates with something. So the place, the smell, people, when you come to worship, you sit in the same seats and we go, oh, I'll sit in other ones. Part of the reason people do is not just familiarity, but there's a familiarity that they've met with God in that space. So finding a place is a really important part yeah. of that. Yeah, so it, it's best to find a place that's specifically devoted to prayer. Mm-hmm. That way your, your brain knows and you know that this is specifically a space devoted to prayer. You can control all the objects in that space. You can make sure that everything in that space is truly promoting your focus and in, in seeking God. Mm-hmm. And then also, it's it's really about the, the people piece, your family. If when you're in that space, your family knows that you're there to 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 pray and it's not, they shouldn't be disturbing you, um, that, that they should really be holding off and, and letting you have that space. And I think that's also where church comes into play. It's so important to come physically to church because there's so much about the atmosphere in this church that promotes our relationship with sure. God. Sure. So space, people, and objects. What yep. would be an idea of an object? I so I think objects. I think there's a, objects are often distracting us. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, if you're in the kitchen area, all the dirty dishes, all the crumbs on the floor, those are all things that would distract us. Do they really distract you? <laughs> no, it not, does, does not distract me too often. I I your, your roommates. But I anyway. try, try to make it. But, I, but so, for instance, with prayer, if you have a space that's cluttered, yeah. it would be great to clean it up before you pray because that will limit your distractions. If you have dirty clothes on the floor, you'll probably be thinking about laundry, yeah. uh, and that will distract you later on. And how about, like, a cell phone? Yeah. <laughs> that, that would be an object. That, that definitely. So, so this whole idea of of God saying, you know, I want to be intimate with you and I want you to know my character. You need to know who I am and who you are and your identity come before me at any time. And then there's this sense, he says, if you want that kind of intimacy, there's an intention that's needed on your part, which is the second part, an intention that says, I'm going to do the things in my life. And, And what I would encourage people to do is don't try and do a whole bunch of things. Say, okay, God, if it's prayer, um, which we've been talking a lot about, which I think God is calling the church to right now. What does it look like for you? Maybe it means saying, I'll go once a month to the Wednesday prayer thing we do with people or Zoom in, or or I will start saying, I'll take 15, 20 minutes in the morning first thing, if you can do it. I, I don't know, moms, you figure out, and dads, how you do that, but I mean, you, you need to kind of say, where is it I'm going to take this step, and then what do I need to do with space, people, and objects. Yeah, yeah, and it's a, it's about really uh, starting small, like you said. You don't have to have to be 
perfect from the beginning. Yeah. But then trying to thoughtfully design your environment from all angles so that really change becomes inevitable. Yeah. And that it's, you don't, you're not just hoping that you're positioning yourself for obedience. You know that you've thoughtfully designed an environment with the behaviors that will lead to obedience to God. And that blesses God. It's kind of like when you're meeting with someone at dinner and let's say I'm meeting with my wife, she probably would love it. Um, and you people, you know, go take your phone, put it aside. You know, don't do other things, but look in the eyes. There's a sense of part of our walk with God is this intentional sense of, God, I'm going to look in your eyes on a regular basis. There's going to be focused time in my life that's important. And you've cleared the way you're going to do things, and you've done things. I can just tell you the things you've done, but I also want you to know how important you are to me. So, you know what? Thank you. I think that's such a great illustration. Thanks, Chase. And for all you here, I'd say, you know, it's a big deal to come up in front. Thanks, Chase. So if you have this idea of intimacy, and God says, there's no reason that you shouldn't have intimacy when you get to know me. And he says, show me your glory. And he says, here's my goodness. And not only that, I'll share my name with you. My name, my name actually expresses the depth of love and even the depths of your sin. But then he goes on and he says, I'm going to ask you to be intentional. I'm going to ask you to be intentional. Maybe once a week, say, God, I'm going to meet with you in a church setting somehow, what, what that looks like for you. And then the last part is what I call impact. Uh, um, the way you have impact is by fulfilling those things. And one of the things that you see in, in Moses' life is, is exactly that. Um, if you don't on a regular basis come into the presence of God, you will not, you will not carry the presence of God. Your impact is, is a result of your intimacy. We've said before, it's intimacy with the sense of intention, and then it comes to their sense of impact. And you have to really know God to show God to others. I said it last week in Acts 4.13. It's a great example. When the religious leaders saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they're just unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. They took note that they had been with Jesus. Exodus 34, verse 29 says, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, he was not aware that his face was even radiant. He wasn't even aware of the impact he was having on others. But you got to look at this part, because I underline this. Because he had spoken with the Lord. That's the reason his impact was, was so strong. He was in intimate relationship with God, intentionally doing the things that would allow for that to happen in his life. And as a result of that, he began to radiate his presence. His intimacy leads to impact. I love the fact that he wasn't even aware of it. I think there's a lot of times we're not aware of it. I remember when I is, was going into my sophomore year in college, that spring before, I had come to a place where I made a decision, God, I'm not going to travel this life unless you're with it in me. I mean, it was the same thing. I'm not doing this unless you're in it. So God, I'm going to, and I, I remember for a whole, it was about a month or so, I would, every day I'd go to this one little place where I would read Philippians 3. I read Philippians 3 over and over again. And then that summer I decided, you know what, I'm going to spend time, I had not really done this before, I'm going to spend time in that freshman summer reading God's word on a daily basis. I'm going to take time. And I'm going to do that. And I did do that. And I came back that next year. It was only the first week. And I don't know what day it was, but I was walking down on the way to the dining hall. And as I'm walking to the dining hall, um, a, a girl came up who I didn't know real well, somewhat conversationally knew her. And, and as we were walking and talking at one point, she stopped and she looked at me and goes, you're different. And I go, I, I know I'm different. No, but, but she was saying, no, you're different. And I'll never forget that because 
It was just in conversation she began to see, I think, the impact of just spending time with God. Because when you spend time with him, he rubs off on you. Jesus, you just begin to pick up his mannerisms. You begin to, to, to talk the way he talks. You begin to deal with relationships the way that he deals with relationships. You begin to start to move into these places where when you're going through difficult times, you see how Jesus handled those difficult times. When you see how he handled people, you begin to handle people. Because spending time with him just brings about sometimes just unintended consequences and impact. Now, what I want you to note here, we're going to kind of conclude this here in just a few minutes. I want you to look at verses 30 through 35. And, and I want you to note what the text says here. Because all the, um, all the politicizing of like mask wearing and things like that, and, or not wearing masks, um, there's really good biblical grounds for wearing masks in this text. Um, uh, it, if you look at it, it says, When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses finished speaking to them, now, underline this, he put a veil over his face. But whenever the, he, he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil and until he came out. And then when he came out, he told the Israelites what he had been commanded and they saw that his face was radiant. And then Moses would put the veil back on his face until he went back to speak with the Lord. And if you look at that, in the Hebrew, it's a single-use, very rare word translated N95 respirator. <laughs> it's the same kind of um, mask that health officials are using right now with COVID. Um, just kidding. It's just a piece of cloth that he put over his face because he didn't... He, there's a reason for this. Now note, he took his mask off when he was in front of the people. When he was in front of the Lord and when he was in front of the people. Because he was acting as a middleman. He was a mediator who would stand and look in the face of, his, of, of God in that sense. He would look into the presence of God. And then it would, it would so reflect on him, the intimacy would so cause an impact that they didn't even know he'd glow at first until people told him. And then he'd go out and it was the, it was a sign that God was present with him. And this glow had a, it had an importance. It, it was showing them God. It's this idea that standing in between them and God was Moses. And Moses was the one, when he went to prayer, went to prayer on their behalf. He went before God for them so that they could have life and they could begin to, to experience this land that he had promised to them. He was going to be the one who helped bring them to God. Moses pointed to Jesus. Jesus, as you look at what we go on through that time, you see Moses, a great mediator, points to Jesus, who is this great mediator as well. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and verses 3 through 6, he says, I urge you, first of all, with petitions and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving to be made for all people. This is good, and this pleases God our Savior, who wants all people, listen to this, he wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, for there is one God and one mediator, one middle person between God and mankind, and that is the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Because Jesus is the mediator appoints us to the Father. If you read 2 Corinthians chapter 3 through 5, if you want an interpretation of what's happening here in Exodus, chapters 3 through 5 is a commentary of Paul on Exodus 32 through 34. And he basically saying like Moses and Jesus 
are God's middlemen, mediating the presence of God to others. Now he's saying, guess what? That's your job. That's our job. We act as mediators. We bring the presence of God to others. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 8, and chapter 4, 3, and some verses following, it says, even the ministry that was characterized by chiseled letters on stone tablets came with a dazzling measure of glory, though it produced death. The Israelites couldn't bear to gaze on the glowing face of Moses because of the radiant splendor shining from his countenance, a glory destined to fade away. Yet how much more, he says this about three or four times in this whole chapters three through five, how much more radiant is the new and glorious ministry of the spirit that shines from us? Even if our gospel message is veiled, it's only veiled to those who are perishing for their minds have been blinded by the God of this age, leaving them in unbelief. Their blindness keeps them from seeing the day spring light of the wonderful news of the glory of Jesus Christ, who is the divine image of God. For God who said, let brilliant light shine out of darkness is the one who has cascaded his light into us, the brilliant dawning light of the glorious knowledge of God as we are and gaze into the face of Jesus Christ. I remember um, a number of years ago when my kids were about four and two years of age, um, I grew up in a home that had dogs. I love animals. My wife grew up in a farm area up north in Minnesota, Thief River Falls, Thief River Falls. And they always had, as farmers, they had dogs outside. So it was kind of like a, kind of, what well, can we get a dog inside? Well, finally, I wore her down. And we got this dog. And this dog was this Sheltie. And the dog's name was Shelby. And we got it from some other um, people. And one of the things, I was so excited to have this dog. And the dog loved our kids and would run around with our kids. But whenever I would call the dog, it wouldn't come near me. It would almost go the other way. And I remember thinking I'd go towards the dog and the dog would go the other way. And I began to realize that at some point this dog had had a male person who was abusive to it. And, and it just it bummed my heart out so much. I, I was the one who wanted this dog. I was the one excited about it, and, and I would see, you know, my wife and my kids, they'd be in the family room, and I remember one time sitting on the stairs, and my kids were playing with the dog, and my one daughter, my oldest daughter, came running towards me, and as she ran, the dog ran with her. And I thought, that's interesting, and she came right up to me, and my daughter, I gave her a hug, and I actually patted the dog's head and didn't run away. I said, Kelsey, Kelsey do that again. She went back. We did it probably 15 times. And as we continued to do it, you know what? I called the dog, and she would run a little bit, and she wouldn't run the rest of the way, and the dog would run to me. And I remember that as I thought about it, because I liked the journal, and I was thinking about it. I thought, how many people, like the people that are afraid of Moses, he comes out, how many people are afraid of God? They don't know the glory, this incredible goodness, this incredible love of God. How many people are misguided by lies? How many people are waiting for maybe you to get next to them and as God calls, bring them into his presence? That's what this whole thing is about. It's about intimacy. It's about the intention to develop that intimacy and it's about the impact that comes from that kind of intimacy. And just as Moses was a mediator before a group of people, so also Jesus becomes a mediator for us to the presence of God. 
And so also we have the opportunity to bring people into the presence of Jesus that they can get to know this God. And so I just really want you to think about this because this is really, really critical when you look at this passage. Moses' life, he said, God, it's really interesting. Jacob said, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not letting go till you bless me. That's a pretty personal thing, which I think is a really good thing. But Moses did something different. He said, you know what, God, I'm, I'm not going to go where you want me to go unless you go with me. But it wasn't about him. God gave him the opportunity to go all on his own. In fact, build his own family and nation that would follow him. But he said, I'm not going to do it unless you take others with me, the ones you call. And I just really encourage us as we think about it. I'm going to ask you to think about it. I'm going to as a team, if they come forward, we're going to, we're going to um, worship together. I want you to think about this. Not so much um, even praying and say, oh, who does God want me to impact right now? I just really want you to think about this. God, am I coming into your face, into your intimacy? Am I coming before you and allowing you to transform me so that as you do so, there will be this radiance that shines for me? That you won't see it, but others are going to feel it. They're going to feel the radiant presence of God because God is changing you. He's, he's building into your heart compassion. He's building in your heart graciousness. He's building into your heart this, this um, slowness and anger. He's building into your heart the very things that are in God himself. And you have the ability, as you look at him, to be transformed. And as you're transformed, you have the ability to see the radiant presence of God touch others. And some you won't know. You won't know till you get there in heaven someday. But there are some around you that God is calling And he's calling you to bring them into his presence.